I'm sure most of you heard that we have a new president as of this week, as of Wednesday morning, right? Was anybody paying attention to that this year? Of course we were. The 46th president of the United States was, was sworn in on, on Wednesday morning, who is democratically elected by the people. That's how it works in our country. It also works in our country that about half of the people are happy about that, and about half of the people are not happy about whoever the president is. Like it or not, though, <laughs> believe it or not, Joe Biden is our 46th president of the United States. It's a fact. With that position, the president of the United States, he's the most powerful person in the world. It's a position of supreme authority. Now, Biden was elected by the people, but we also know that authority can be inherited, right? Like a monarchy. You're born into the royal family. Authority can be earned over time, like the CEO of a, of a company or a head coach. You work your way up. Authority can be taken by force. Authority can be given by others, either a group of people or an individual person who has the right to bestow it. But it's totally natural at this point, you know, just a few days into any new president's administration, as someone who has that much authority and power, for us to ask questions about how he's going to use it. It's totally natural. Ask questions such as, how will he use his position? From his position, how will he treat those in power? From his position, how will he treat the weak? Those who have no power. How will he treat the poor, for instance, the oppressed, the immigrant? From his position, how will he treat the truth? From his position, how will he treat his enemies, political or social or otherwise? From his position, how will he engage with the issues of our time? And finally, how will he leave our country at the end of his rule? What will his legacy be? Where we are now at the beginning of the story of this president, we still have a lot of questions, rightly so. That can also be said of where we are in Matthew about Jesus. I want us to try to do a thought experiment as we, as we walk through Matthew. And it's this. Try your best to take all that you know about Jesus from other sources outside of Matthew. Take all of that knowledge of Jesus and kind of pack it away for now and set it aside. Let's allow Matthew to teach us about Jesus in a fresh new way. Try to think differently as we walk through Matthew 
differently as in thinking, thinking in a new way about Jesus, allowing Matthew to teach us. I think it'll be a cool experiment. So if we do that, so far, we're, we're at the end of uh, chapter one, we're beginning chapter two today, first 12 verses. By the end of chapter one in Matthew, all we know about Jesus is that he was uh, named Jesus, born to a virgin, miraculously, in the line of Abraham and David. That's pretty much it right now. So to summarize, uh, we know a baby was born of a virgin into a prominent Jewish family, genealogy, and his name is Jesus, which means God with us. That's how chapter one ends. That's it. I have a lot of questions about this baby if, if I do this thought experiment. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 that we're looking at today, we see this first public interaction people have with Jesus. In other words, chapter 1 is Jesus is born. Chapter 2 begins, word gets out about this baby. Let's see what we can learn about this young now a young child, Matthew 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And they quoted Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them, to, sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. He's lying. That's just a teaser for next week. That's next week's story. Verse 9. After they had heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So again, thinking about Jesus, only what Matthew tells us, putting everything else aside, this is the first descriptor of Jesus after his birth. And in fact, we'll see in Matthew that 
um, this is really the only interaction we have or, or lesson we have about a young Jesus in Matthew because he jumps right to his ministry right after this episode. So this is the only uh, information we have, only lesson Matthew teaches us about Jesus as a young child. So clearly it's important. But what does he tell us? All we know right now is that he was born. He was an infant. Let's continue the story. Fresh eyes, here we go. So Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Coming from the east is not like the east side of Jerusalem, right? It's not like the suburbs of Jerusalem they came from, no. From the east means uh, the far east, like uh, countries away from, from the east. It, it, in other words, it was, he's just communicating that it was a long distance. They came a long way to see this child. And of course, they didn't have transportation the way that we do. Today, they were riding on the back of a camel, most likely, most likely for weeks, months, maybe even years. They traveled a long way to see this child. That says something about Jesus, right? Matthew's teaching us something. Distance communicates something important. I don't know if you saw the story. I just came across that, this story this week of, of the crisscrossed romantics. The story goes like this. When Finley McAfee boarded a flight from Edinburgh, Scotland to Paris to surprise his girlfriend Salma, he knew it was a big romantic gesture. The story goes on like this. Anyone who's watched a few movies in their time knows that a surprise visit to one of the most beautiful cities in the world, not to mention an unexpected airport reunion, has been the basis for many a great cinematic moment. You see, they'd been dating for about three months. This was the first time that they were separated from one another, and they missed each other. Salma had been visiting Beirut and was traveling back to Edinburgh, where they both lived, with a day layover in Paris, at which time Finley was going to surprise her. Or so we thought. Picture the gesture. He flies to Paris to surprise her in the airport. One problem. She gets a flight a day early because she misses him. So she was in Paris the day before Finley arrived. Story goes like this. She gets back to Edinburgh a day early, a day early just as he is boarding his flight to Paris from the same airport. She texts, uh, when she gets there, she texts Finley's roommate, telling him that she arrived a day early to surprise him. Here's the roommate's text response. He just flew to Paris. Like, to do the same thing, like literally. <laughs> she texts Finley frantically, please tell me you're not in Paris, LOL. No response. All caps, come back, I'm here. Here as in Edinburgh, not Paris. All caps, no response. All caps, I'm sorry, I was trying to be cute. Come back now. Finally, response. Ha ha ha, 
he writes, wow, I'm in Paris. So he stays overnight in Paris and he posts on Facebook his status. He writes, anyone in Paris? I flew in to surprise Salma, but she flew back to surprise me. And now I've got 12 hours to kill. <laughs> it received 173 likes and the comments came flooded in, like this one from a friend. This situation is trophy worthy. Distance, how far you're willing to go to see somebody tells us something about what you think of that somebody. The Magi's long distance journey says something about Jesus, right? Matthew's teaching us something here. They get there and they speak with Herod and they, the Magi say, where's the one born the king of the Jews? Magi travel a long distance to see this child and they call him king of the Jews. That says something about Jesus, right? It, it sounds like a monarchy, like king language and all, in which you're born into royalty. Sarah and I really enjoy the, the Netflix series, The Crown, about the, the monarchy during the rule, uh, the British monarchy during the rule of, of the current queen, Queen Elizabeth II. Season four, which just came out in, I guess, December or so, which we, you know, finished already, focuses on the early years of Charles and Di. Of course, when William is born, it was a big deal. Here at his birth is the future king of England. But even that doesn't fit this situation perfectly, does it? Like, they're not saying here we've We've come, uh, where is the future king of the Jews? They say the king of the Jews, who was born king of the Jews. That says something about Jesus, right? Let's keep going. The Magi say, we saw his star when it rose. This star, apparently, is his star. Not just a star, not just the star, but apparently they believed that this baby had his own star. Makes me think of the stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You familiar with this in Hollywood? There's a famous uh, walkway, sidewalk, where there are gold stars embedded in the sidewalk for very famous people. Like, when you get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you have arrived. It says something about you and what the public thinks of you. I did a little research just to know, <clears throat> just to see, like, how do you get this? Like, you know, how do you, how do you get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? And apparently there are four steps. A few of them are legitimate steps and some of them are kind of funny, but four steps to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. First, you have to apply to the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. No joke. You have to apply to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, the Chamber of Commerce. Of course, you have to be super famous for them. Their once a year meeting, they decide who gets a star, you know? You have to be super famous and super successful to get a star. 
Secondly, second step, you have to prove that you want one by agreeing to show up to the ceremony, right? You have to, you have to make a big deal of it when you get your star and you put it in. You, 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 have to, you have to agree to show up. And step three, you have to bring some famous friends. That always helps. Of course, those aren't actual steps, but they're just, um, they're assumptions. Step four is a legitimate step. You have to pay for it. $30,000 pay for it. Now, half of it goes to um, the Hollywood Historic Trust, and so it's a donation. The other half, 15 grand, pays for the star itself. Expensive star. In, in any case, getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is a big deal. You got your own star, says a lot about you. Jesus is a young child, maybe two years old. He has his own star. That says something about Jesus, right? Matthew is communicating something important about Jesus. And then the chief priests and teachers of the law are brought into the story. Verse 4. When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet is written in, in, they quote, Micah chapter 5. This isn't just any prophecy in the Old Testament, right? This isn't just any uh, message from God to the people of Israel. This is a messianic prophecy, right? And I want you to notice about this, uh, this scene. He, Herod calls in all the, chief, the people's chief priests, like all of these chief priests, all of the, the pastors, if you will. They bring them in, the, ch the chief ones, the head ones. And uh, the teachers of the law, the professors, right? Brings them all into this room. And he asks them, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they're all like, well, that's easy. It's Bethlehem. Here you go. Micah, Messianic prophecy. Here's my point. They all knew all of the messianic prophecies. If you're a chief priest or a teacher of the law, like the first, like intro to priesthood, right? Intro to becoming a professor or teacher of the law, you memorize all of the messianic prophecies. Now, I don't know if that's like literally true, like don't take my word for it, but I'm just making a point, right? They all knew all of the messianic prophecies. Why? Because everything that God was doing, everything we read about it from, from, from Genesis chapter 1 all through the Old Testament points to a Messiah. Like this is how God is going to work in the world. He's going to send his Messiah. At this point, remember, they had been waiting for hundreds of years, for, like 400 years for the, for the Messiah to come. Since the, since the end of the Old Testament was written in history. They've been waiting a long time. And they know that when the Messiah comes, everything's going to change. Everything. God's going to set up his kingdom on earth, they believe, through this Messiah. He's going, to, he's going to rule. He's going to reign. God's rule and reign is going to come on earth. The good rule and the good reign of the God that they worship will come on earth in this Messiah. They all knew all of the Messianic prophecies. They were all thinking about it and watching for them to be fulfilled. The, the Messiah was the hero of God's story. And so when these prophecies started getting fulfilled, they started taking notice. 
So did Herod, by the way. You'll learn about that next week. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecy of the Messiah. That says something about Jesus, right? Matthew's teaching us something here. If chapter 1 ends with a miraculous birth of a Jewish child into the line of Abraham and David, by the 12th verse of chapter 2, Matthew shows all his cards about what he thinks of Jesus. Jesus is the protagonist in the epic drama of God. Jesus is the hero of God's story. He's the Messiah, the King of the Jews, right now. Like it or not, believe it or not, according to Matthew, Jesus is God's Messiah, God's Savior on earth. Not believing it, doesn't change the fact that Jesus is God's Messiah. Not liking that God has a Messiah or not liking that God has this Messiah, you know, doesn't change the fact. The fact, the historical fact, that Jesus is God's Messiah. It's as true as, as Joe Biden being our 46th president. Like it or not, believe it or not, it's true. It's also true that Matthew is saying that Jesus is in a position of authority and great power, like our president. Jesus didn't earn it by being better than all the other kids in Messiah school, though I'm sure he was. Jesus didn't win a contest proving his superior, superiority over other would-be messiahs. I don't know if you knew this in history. There were other people who claimed to be messiah. He, he didn't win a contest. Jesus didn't graduate, you know, from, from messiah school and wasn't bestowed uh, the, the, the title of messiah. Uh, there was no democratic election by the people to choose Jesus as the people's messiah. No. According to Matthew, he was Messiah at his birth. He just is. There's one Messiah, and his name is Jesus. One Savior, and his name is Jesus. So that can leave us with some questions, right? At this point in Matthew's story, like legitimate questions about Jesus' future. If we're just thinking about what we have learned from Matthew, right? Let's, let's let ourselves stop here and wonder about his future. We're left to wonder at this point what kind of king he will be. Do you remember our questions about the president? How will he use his position? From his position, how will he treat those in power? From his position, how will he treat the weak, those who have no power, the poor, the oppressed? From his position, how will he treat the truth? From his position, how will he treat 
his enemies. From his position, how will he engage with the issues of the time? And finally, how will he leave his position at the end of his rule? What will his legacy be? Also, a question we should be asking every week as we walk through Matthew learning about Jesus is this final one. What is an appropriate response to Jesus? We get a clue what Matthew thinks. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That says a lot about this Jesus, right? They came, they brought him their treasure, they worshiped him. As we proceed through Matthew getting to know this Jesus, consider this question along the way. How am I going to respond to this Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this uh, amazing story, the gift of the book of Matthew that you uh, inspired and preserved for us so many years later to read and to, to study and to love. Thank you for Matthew, this book, this gospel, this truth. We thank you for the story that you're telling us about this child who was born king, your Messiah. We thank you for all the gifts that you give us. And I pray, Lord, as we walk through this, this book, learning together, that you would help us to see Jesus anew with fresh eyes so that we can come to know him and to love him in new ways. And all this we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. We hope you have a great week. See you next week.